being here uh, tonight. We've got things changed around a little bit, but that's okay. We'll still uh, get into God's Word and see what uh, He has for us uh, tonight. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open please to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2. Tonight we're going to cover two books of the Bible in about 500 years of Israel's history. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, uh, the kingdom when it is divided, and then we're going to uh, also uh, see uh, God's people going into captivity. Uh, look at some key people and some pivotal events that uh, take place, and then we'll try to pull it all together and see what we can uh, make it mean to us as far as how we can apply uh, those things that we see in the book of First Kings and the book of Second Kings. Wonderful uh, uh, pages uh, of Scripture. I hope you will take time to, to read through these uh, books. Um, don't get confused when it's talking about different kings because tonight we're going to see a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And we're going to see, you've always heard about the divided kingdom. I don't know if you uh, have ever studied that or perhaps you have uh, questions about that, but we'll try to see tonight how that all came about and what it means and how it relates to God's big picture and His plan uh, for mankind. So uh, without any further ado, let's get right into 1 Kings chapter 2. We'll begin in uh, verse 1. This is where we left off last week with King David. 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. When David died, his son Solomon became the next king of Israel. And as a man after God's own heart, as he is described in Scripture, David had this burning desire in his heart to build God's house, the temple. However, that was not part of God's plan for David to build that temple. Rather, it was David's son Solomon who was to build it. Well, what, what does the temple have to do? Why, why is that a pivotal thing, the, the building of this temple? How does that fit in to God's big picture. Well, as part of God's original purpose in creating man, you will recall that it was his desire to live in love and fellowship with Adam and Eve and all their descendants. But because of man's sin, 
that fellowship, that communion with God was broken. And man was now separated from God. But you know, man's sin did not and does not alter God's plan. And it did not. Because you see, God still wanted to dwell in close communion and, and fellowship with His highest creation. He still wanted to dwell in fellowship with man. You remember in the Old Testament, the uh, Lord dwelt among His people, first of all, in the tabernacle. That temporary structure that they carried with them as they wandered all those years through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. God dwelt with His people in that tabernacle. And then later, when the temple was built, the temple was to be God's dwelling place. The place where He would reside. The place where His people could worship Him. But now, since Jesus Christ came, died on the cross to make it possible for man to be reconciled to God, uh, God no longer dwells in a tabernacle or in a temple because uh, He dwells within the heart of every believer. Uh, you, you remember, we, we learn in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. He teaches us and he, and he tells us that the body, your body, if you're a Christian, your body now is the temple of God the Holy Spirit. God resides within you. That's where He dwells now. And because of, of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God dwells within you right now. And He's going to dwell with you, and you will dwell with Him forever in that place that He's prepared for us, that we know is heaven. But in David's day, in Solomon's day, God's habitation was to be the temple. David charges Solomon, his son, to keep his commandments, to follow in his footsteps, and he reminds Solomon of God's promise that there shall not fail thee a man on the throne of Israel. Keep that promise of God in mind as we go through our lessons tonight. Okay, turn over to chapter 6. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Let's skip down to verse 11. Then the word of the Lord came unto Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee which I spake unto David thy father 
and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not <coughs> forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Doesn't that sound like the same thing that David told Solomon? The Lord is now reminding him this second time, uh, or this time that, that he appeared to Solomon, he is reminding him of his covenant with his father David. And it also includes a condition and a warning. Look at chapter 9. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built, to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Ever. As I promised David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But now watch this. This time God appears to Solomon. He also includes this warning in verse 6. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. And, this, and at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. I don't know about you, but I don't think God's warning to Solomon could be any clearer than what was laid out here. Solomon was charged with following in David's footsteps. He was warned of the consequences if he would not. He also understood that if he obeyed the Lord, one of his descendants would always be on the throne in Israel. Well, what happened? Look at verse, look at chapter 11. Always make note when a chapter or a verse begins with that little conjunction, but. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> chapter 11, verse 1. 
But King Solomon loved many strange women. Now, some women may be strange, but what it's talking about here is foreign. Okay? Strange women, those are foreign women, okay? Not just strange, but they were also foreign. Okay? He loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh. And look at these. Look, look at these, look at these women that Solomon loved. <coughs> Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. All of the pagan people who lived in and around Israel. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave to these in love. And he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines. And look at the last part of verse 3. Wives turned away his heart. He allowed his heart to be turned away from the Lord. After his father had warned him after the Lord had warned him, Solomon allowed his heart to be turned away from the Lord. He even set the nation on a course of pagan worship and idolatry. Look at verse 4. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense, incense and sacrificed unto their gods. He introduced pagan worship in Israel, completely disobeying God's command, his father's instructions, in serving the Lord as they should. How did God react to that? Look at verse 9. The Lord was very angry. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, 
For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Even in spite of Solomon's heart being turned away from God, even in spite of Solomon's disobedience, God was still going to be true to his covenant promise that he had made to David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne. But at this point, at this point, Solomon's fate is sealed. The kingdom is now going to be divided. Skip down to verses 41 through 43. The rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? In the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. The kingdom is now going to be divided. We'll look back at verse 29 of chapter 11. Because through this prophet Ahijah, God tells a, a young man in Solomon's administration by the name of Jeroboam that he'd be the next king. Look at verse 29 of chapter 11. It came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way and he had clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it, tore it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. Jeroboam will rule over ten tribes. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, will reign over two. Well, Rehoboam automatically, as we read there in verse 20, uh, 43, he automatically was selected by Solomon's uh, followers as the next king. But Rehoboam made a critical, crucial, tactical leadership mistake. You see, trouble was brewing because some of the people did not appreciate the fact that Solomon had taxed them so heavily. They were not happy that he had made them to labor and toil in all of his building projects throughout those years that he reigned. And when Rehoboam took over, he sought counsel from some old men and from some young men. Look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. 
King Rehoboam consulted with the old man that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? See, they had made their complaints known to Rehoboam. They did not appreciate what Solomon had done. Taxes were too high, too much forced labor. They did not appreciate that. So Rehoboam goes to the old men and he says, how, how would you, how would you handle this situation? He's seeking counsel. He wants to know what they thought he should do. What did they tell him? Verse 7, they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant, unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them, speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. Verse 8. He forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. You see, the old guys, they didn't, they didn't know anything. We need this young crowd to tell us what we really should do. But here's a word of caution. When you're seeking counsel from someone, did you see that? Do you see that in verse 8? Who did he go to counsel for? The young men that were grown up with him. You know what's a good rule of thumb? If you're going to seek counsel from someone, go to someone a little bit older than you who might know a little bit more than you and the rest of your friends know. He went to the guys who were going to tell him what he wanted to hear. He discounted the counsel of the old men, went to the young men. Because you see, those old guys, they, they were too old. They didn't know anything. I remember, I remember when I was about 17 years old, I remember my dad telling me, son, there's not any time in your life when you're going to be smarter than you think you are right now. <laughs> what a revelation. And he also said this, remember, the older you get, the smarter I'll become. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. Rehoboam is preparing to be the king. He's the new king. Goes to the old man. They give him counsel. Says, look, if you'll, be, if you'll serve the people, they'll serve you forever. He went to the young men. They gave him bad counsel. Well, let's go on to verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly. And he forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. To make a long story short, 
civil war ensues, and the result is in verse 20 of chapter 12. came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Well, what happened? Rehoboam retreated down to the southern kingdom with the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Jeroboam had the northern kingdom with the other ten tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. And at this point, the kingdom was officially divided. God had forewarned that the kingdom would be divided because Solomon failed to keep pagan worship out of the nation. You see, here's where as, as believers a, a word of caution is in order. You know, our sinful actions can affect other people. We must guard against straying from the Lord. We don't know what the consequences may be. Solomon did because he had been warned and he did it anyway. Beware. Beware. The, the kingdom is now divided. The nation was already divided in their worship and now they're going to be divided politically because now they have two rulers instead of one. Uh, for two generations, during the time of Solomon and during the time of David, Israel's army had been the greatest and strongest army in that region. And now it was weakened because they were divided. The nation's glory days seem to be over. What's going to happen now? Well, even though the kingdom was divided in two, God's covenant promise to David remained intact. You see, God is faithful. God is faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His promise. Because even though Israel forsook the Lord, the kingdom of Judah continued. Kings sat upon her throne, and David's, David's descendants, his royal posterity prevailed and continued to rule. And even though it was a divided kingdom, David's descendants still sat on the throne of Judah, just as God had planned from the very beginning. You see, things don't just happen as we've seen so many times in our study of this. Things don't just happen. God orchestrates it. He, he did not desire for that kingdom to be divided, but he used those circumstances and continued his plan. His big picture, God's plan, was still intact. Well, let's hurry on. After 22 years as king of Israel in the north, Jeroboam dies. Well, there were various kings who ruled over Judah and various kings who ruled over Israel. Um, some were good, 
like uh, King Asa of Judah in the south. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Doing right meant getting the idol worship out of the land. King Asa even went so far as to remove his own grandmother, Maka, <laughs> from, from her position as, the, as the, the, the matriarch, the queen mother, because she was an idolatress who worshipped pagan gods. On the other end of the spectrum was a guy named Nadab. Nadab became king of the northern kingdom after his father, Jeroboam, died. Well, there was a man named Basha who conspired against Nadab. He killed Nadab and killed all the rest of Jeroboam's family. But Basha also walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Then Zimri followed in succession later on. He followed the evil ways of King Jeroboam as well. You see the pattern here? The people despised Zimri. So he was in power all of seven days before he set himself on fire in the palace. He left his ashes to a man named Omri. Omri was the popular choice of the people. They loved Omri. During his reign, he made the city of Samaria the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. And when Omri died, his son Ahab took over. Unfortunately, probably one of the most infamous of all the kings of Judah, Ahab. Because Ahab had a very famous wife named Jezebel. The real power in his kingdom was his wife Jezebel. Now Jezebel was a powerful domineering woman who had an iron will. She was the daughter of a, of, of a pagan foreign uh, king. And she and Ahab brought Baal worship into Israel. But it was during his reign that the prophet Elijah comes on the scene. Ahab and Jezebel hated the prophets of God. <laughs> Guess who was the chief among them? Yep, you're right, it was Elijah. Consequently, Elijah became Ahab's and Jezebel's public enemy number one. But you know, God still had a plan for his people. Uh, he had a plan for a fiery confrontation contest for Elijah and the people to see whose side God was really on. You remember the story on Mount Carmel. Fire came down, burned up Elijah's offering, and in an awesome display of divine power, the false prophets of Baal were defeated, and 450 of them were slaughtered. Well, when Elijah was taken to heaven by a whirlwind after a chariot of fire, Elisha was left to carry on the work. He continued the work of the prophet Elijah. We won't go into Jezebel's death, but let me just say very quickly that before Elisha died, he chose, he ordained, he commanded that a guy named Jehu was going to be the next king. Jehu 
famous for his chariot driving skill, was the next one in line, in succession. Well, Jehu gets this idea, and what he does is he's filled with holy zeal now that he's the king, now that he is the anointed one. And he decides that he is going to march a regiment of soldiers to Jezebel's house in Jezreel. He takes a regiment of soldiers with him. He confronts Jezebel. Jezebel is upstairs. He confronts Jezebel. And he tells Jezebel's servants, throw her down, push her out the window. <laughs> and would you believe they were only too happy? to oblige <laughs> because that's what they did they pushed her out the window she died a terrible death that day she fell down into the uh, street the horses trampled her and the dogs ate her and you can read you can read that account that's in the bible the dogs ate her you know the only thing you know all that was left to Jezebel was her skull her head her palms of her hands and her feet. <coughs> that was what happened to Jezebel. Well, shortly thereafter, all of Ahab's family was summarily killed and the altars of Baal were torn down. You see, God will eventually have his way. We can either choose to be part of it or not to. We can either jump on board and follow the Lord or we can turn our backs, go our own way, and face the consequences. Amen. Well, King Jeroboam II now becomes the king. Uh, he, was, he, he was sinful and it was during his time that God sent the prophets Amos and Hosea to cry against the people and their sinfulness, warn them about God's coming judgment if they didn't repent. Amos and Hosea warned that if the people didn't repent, turn back to God, they would face serious consequences. Though these faithful prophets warned the people, the northern kingdom of Israel did not listen. Their pagan, sinful, Ungodly kings ignored God's pleas through his prophets and led the people deeper into spiritual and social chaos and depravity. And after Jeroboam II, there were six more kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and every one of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. How long? How long? would the people continue turning their backs on the Lord? Turn over to 2 Kings, chapter 17. Let's fast forward ahead here now. Second Kings, chapter 17. Verse 5. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. Samaria. That was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. 
the king of Assyria came up, marched through the land, besieged the capital city, the kingdom of Israel. Something is about to happen. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. Deported the people. Overtook the city. Deported the people. Placed them in, in, foreign, in foreign cities. In those Assyrian cities. For so it was. Verse 7. That the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. From under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And had feared other gods. And walked in the statutes of the heathen. Whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And the kings of Israel. Which they had made. And then look at verse 18. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Any semblance of a Jewish nation, any semblance of a united people, any semblance of a common cause now gone. And the kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Well, what's going on down south in the southern kingdom at this time? There was a young king there named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah watched all that developed up there in the northern kingdom of Israel. What was Hezekiah going to do? Here's a young king. What is he going to do? Small kingdom. He's only the tribe of Judah and will be the tribe of Benjamin. But what's he going to do? When the greatest, strongest, fiercest army in the world is camped along his northern border ready to invade and take over. Hezekiah's army was greatly outnumbered. The Assyrians were the most powerful and fiercest of all the warriors of that day. Even though odds were against Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord. Facing a certain brutal defeat by the Assyrians, Hezekiah appealed to the prophet Isaiah. Look at 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master. Here's the message to Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord. Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. In chapter 19 of 2 Kings, 
is that very famous prayer that Hezekiah prayed, beginning in verse 14. Hezekiah received that letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. What did Hezekiah do? Went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. In verse 15, he prayed before the Lord. And he said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Hezekiah prayed. He was in a desperate situation. There was no way he could fight and win against the Assyrians. So he prayed. What happened? Look at verse 35. Came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord, who do you think that was? Went out, smoked in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. I guess he would. Went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. You see, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how hopeless the situation might seem, one man fully trusting in the Lord, willing to pray. I'm sure that was not Hezekiah's first time he ever prayed. Regardless of how hopeless, how desperate the situation may seem, God's big picture may include a plan for your life if you'll pray and trust the Lord. Hezekiah prayed. That humble, sincere prayer of a devoted, faithful servant of God brought about the most dramatic results. The Assyrians were miraculously defeated. Hezekiah enjoyed a great victory. His kingdom, God's leader on able to continue. Because you see, that was God's plan. That was part of God's big picture that it would work out that way. God fought that battle for Hezekiah and won him 
a great victory. Well, faithful King Hezekiah died. His son Manasseh reigned in his stead. He was one of the worst of all the kings. Josiah finally became the king. Josiah was the king there in 2 Kings 22, who was eight years old when he started to reign. But you know, the prophet Isaiah foretold that there would be judgment that would come upon Judah. If you look at chapter 24, we'll stop here. If you look at chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, you'll read these words. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem. The city was besieged, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in, took him in the eighth year of his reign, and he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And what did he do? In verse 14, he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes, all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained, save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers, the mighty of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even 7,000 and craftsmen, smiths, a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. You see, the people of Judah had turned away from God just like the people in the northern kingdom of Israel did many, many years before. Now, as a result of their sin, they were going to face the consequences of being exiled and taken into captivity as well. The prophet Isaiah had foretold that that was going to happen. There were a couple of uh, deportations. First, deportation we just read there. He took all the all the, the cream of the crop, the craftsmen, the soldiers, all of the people that could help in his kingdom. But then there was a second group that was also deported. Among this group was a young priest named Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a very intelligent man. He was a man of spiritual insight and he and he, he preached a stern message of judgment to his fellow exiles. Clear message. Unbelief leads to doom and destruction. But even at that point, God's plan was still in effect. God had not forsaken his people. Even though they forsook him, he did not forsake them. Because you see, when Ezekiel found that the city of Jerusalem had in fact been destroyed. 
his message turned to one of hope. Jeremiah was one of his contemporaries. In spite of all the destruction in the land, in spite of the rampant, persistent, pagan idolatry of the people, God's mercy still endured, and it endures forever. The Lord's faithful in providing light in dark places. You see, the situation is both of those kingdoms, north and south, Israel and Judah, they were dark and desperate times. Sin and idolatry were rampant. But God raised up faithful messengers like Elijah and Elisha, like Amos and Hosea, like <coughs> Isaiah and Jeremiah, to cry out and warn the people of certain imminent destruction if they did not repent. You see, God's plan, God's big picture, was to provide salvation for those people if they would accept it. Salvation was available to them, but they failed to receive it. You see, even today, God is still gracious in using men to deliver His message. I hope that we are those kind of people who will do that. But we need to choose. Will we be part of the solution? Or will we be part of the problem? Will we stand as a, as a shining example in this dark, desperate, dying world? Or will we go along with all of what society says we should do? Follow along with the crowd. And we've seen in the life of Israel and in the life of Judah where that leads. After King David, Israel started on a downward spiral, steady decline. As great a leader as Solomon was, he let the country go into idolatry. You know, like some believers today, the Israelites became lax, they became lazy in their obedience to God, and instead of seeking and obeying the Lord, they began living like and looking like the sinful world around them. Let's see the Israelites' disobedience as a warning to us. Let's heed it. Let's see Israel's times of faithfulness as a, as a motivation for us to be faithful. When they were faithful, God blessed them. When they were faithful, God delivered them. When they were faithful, God won great victories for them. The story of the nation of Israel was coming to a close. But God's plan for His people was not. For you see, God is a God of second, third, fourth, and many, many more chances. That's His plan. That's part of His big picture. Our God's a God of love and grace and mercy. It's His nature to be long-suffering and extending His grace. In spite of our sin, our wickedness, our idolatry, God still continues to love us, seek us, desire to have fellowship with us and to love us, just as He demonstrated through the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. All the Lord dealt with their sin. Yes, He did. They ceased to be a nation for a time. But even through evil, disobedience, idolatry, and war, 
God's plan for His people never altered and never faltered. You know, of Israel's 19 kings, every single one of them did not do what God would have them to do. In Judah, there was only one dynasty where David's line of succession continued. But in spite of all that, the Lord remained faithful to David. He kept his promise to David. Realize tonight that there's hope for your life, regardless of how desperate and hopeless it might seem. Though the night might be long and dark, hope rises with the dawn. It did for God's people, and it can for us. God's promise of hope and deliverance still stands. He still extends that same promise to you and me that He extended to those ancient kingdoms a thousand years before Christ was ever born. Let's pray. Lord, how we love Your Word and the truth that it teaches us. Lord, my prayer is tonight that we might all learn lessons from Israel, from Judah. Lord, that we might learn lessons from David, from Solomon. That we might even learn lessons from these evil kings that occupied the throne of Israel and sometimes the throne of Judah. That we might take their lives as warnings to us to follow your will and your way rather than our own. Lord, that we would not turn aside, that we would not look back, that we would not take our eyes off of you, that we would not depart from your ways, but Lord, that we might also be encouraged because your big picture also includes times and seasons of hope, times and seasons of prosperity and blessing, to those who determine to follow you closely, to love you dearly, and to serve you diligently. Lord, help us to learn from the mistakes of these folks that we saw tonight, and help us determine to follow you all the remaining days of our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.